Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. And welcome to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're joining us. We're here to talk about money. And we can talk about money a lot longer than the 47 minutes of live uh, time that I actually have today. I always have so many notes and so many topics and things that I'd like to discuss. I just don't get time to 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 cover. But that's okay. I'd rather have more than not enough. And, of course, I'm here to answer your questions. That's the main reason for being here today. And as I start the 14th year of Talking Money, I was reflecting on that a little bit and wondering, how many Saturdays is that? Uh, that's, that's every Saturday except for the few that I take off with the best of when the station is closed or, or I happen to take a week off to go somewhere with uh, with my lovely spouse. It's, it's, uh, we're here Saturday mornings. We want to hear because I have a passion for, for educating, passion for helping people make the right decisions and especially make the right decisions for them. And in order to do that, you need to have the right questions to, to ask. If you don't know the right questions to ask, go, if you get nothing else from talking money, hopefully you at least obtain some, some good information that gives you the information you need to ask good questions so that you find out is, is that annuity? Is that insurance? Is that investment? Is that good for me or is it not? I found out the right kind of questions for that. And of course, just as a reminder at there again, as we start the 14th year of talking money, we're not selling anything. So I'm here. No hidden agenda, just not selling insurance, not selling annuities, and not hiding the fact that I that I might be selling something else. No hidden agenda here. Just trying to give you information, education, and and hopefully you'll make some some good decisions because of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about the IRA situation this week and two weeks. We're going to talk about the Secure Act. It's a, a new piece of legislation that we just passed in December, I think the twentieth, I think. And there's a lot of details about that that's still coming out, but we've got pretty handle on most of it. So Alan Cox from our national office in Atlanta with Wano Blue Trust is going to come join me that week in two weeks from today to talk about the SECURE Act and how that affects IRA distributions and 401ks and all that kind of thing. But one of the reasons I, I feel so passionate about talking money and the value we want to try to provide our listeners is that so many people, young people included, are are clueless about finance they really don't know so i ran across a this is a number of years old here but i think it's probably still very true and it was a survey that was done by consumer the journal of consumer affairs it showed that just 27 percent of people 23 to 28 can correctly answer three basic questions about interest rates inflation and risk diversification only 47 percent of participants answered the following question correctly Here's the question. Do you think the following statement is true or false? Buying a single company stock usually provides a safer return, safer return than a stock mutual fund. Now, I didn't say a higher return because obviously one stock could potentially give you a higher return than a diversified portfolio, but only 47% realized 
that buying a, a stock mutual fund would be safer with a more diversification. So the analysis showed that young people who are financially literate are more likely to have college-educated parents. So kudos to those of you who would take some time and have some uh, some education time with your children to help learn about financial planning. And, and I think a lot of that's done just by by watching you, listening to you, seeing what you do. How do you handle your finances? What kind of financial trouble have you gotten into or kept yourself from getting into? And they can see that. And, and really, kids see a whole lot more than most of us parents would like to see. When you see them grow up and you and you see them act a certain way and you think, oh, wait a minute, where'd they learn that? <laughs> well, I know where they learned that. They saw me do that how many times? I just didn't realize I was doing it. So that's important. So last week, I had a question from Denise. So she texted me a question. And I, I asked several times to see if she could, and she responded to one more text to try to give me some more information about that question she had. Still didn't get it quite enough. So I pulled off, pulled the phone number from the text and called her this week, um, yesterday, matter of fact, finally got uh, connected with Denise to ask her to give me more information about her situation. So as she said last week on the text, she's 65 years old. And she's had an IRA. And what what didn't come across? She it's about seventy thousand now, but she's had it for thirty years, so it's grown over a period of time. It's with a brokerage company, but it is currently invested. I would say really not invested. It's just in a money market account. It's in something that is not going to earn much interest, and that's what she's concerned about. So the question is, is how should she take some of the that money, some of that seventy thousand that she doesn't really expect to need? She pulls some out of it for as a hardship so she is disabled as i said she's 65 she's got 1600 a month that she pays in her home and and the expenses related to that so she does pull some from the ira to help with those expenses and so she's wondering what she should do about that ira so i my my thoughts were in asking more questions about her risk profile and what i what i really want to be careful with is someone who's been in cash for a long time and then we have a year like we've had this past year where the stock market went up really well. A little rough in December a year ago, October a year ago, but this past year was, was an excellent year in growth. About pretty much no, no matter where you were, it was one of those kind of years you could throw darts and probably make money in something. So I hate for someone, I really want to be cautious with somebody to say, yeah, go ahead and take half of it or take two-thirds of it if you don't think you're going to need it for five years and go ahead and invest it. Because what you don't want to happen is somebody invests it, and then it just so happens that the next three months, the next month, the next six months are a time period where the stock market doesn't do well, and then you start second guessing yourself. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I, I should have. I should have not gotten in the market, and you get back out. So if you're going to do that, then really just leave it where it is. Leave it in something very safe. Don't put it in the in the stock market, or whether it's U.S. small cap, large cap international, whatever it is, just don't put it there because if you're going to pull it out, if it goes down, then don't do it. So the advice to her was, well, maybe take 20 of it, 20,000 of the 70, and let's invest that in a good diversified portfolio. So she was with a brokerage company, but it was a company that typically will charge commissions when you buy or sell something. So I said, and she was considering moving her account to Fidelity, she said. Says, well, move to Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, Vanguard, someplace like that, where they have some of these Fund of funds. So they have retirement funds that are already allocated for you. So they do the, the hard job of diversifying. It's diversified within their funds. So they'll take 8, 10, 12 of their mutual funds and they'll put them together. So you've got a, 
a good diversified portfolio of U.S. stocks, small stocks, real estate, maybe some international, some emerging market stocks, uh, just a good variety of of diversified investments inside that fund. You just have to make one investment and then you're okay. That You don't have to do anything about it. They will make adjustments up or down in each of those categories as they as they deem best for you. And they're no-load funds, so you don't have to worry about paying a commission to get in. You don't have to pay a fee to get out. They're just there. And, a, and I think a reasonable uh, annual fee for what they charge in those investments because all mutual funds have some kind of fee. So the Vanguard indexes, some of those index funds are really low. But for any kind of regular mutual fund investment, there's going to be some kind of fee in there. And they're very reasonable for what they're putting together for you. So it's a good way to do that. But just take that $20,000 and then don't and leave it alone. Make sure that if if it doesn't go up in three months, six months, 12 months, whatever that time period is for you, that you don't all of a sudden just pull out and say, okay, I'm getting out of this because uh, I just don't like this going down. Uh, it's got to be the long-term part of your investments that you that you make, put that money in for, and not something that's going to be more for short-term. So that was the answer for uh, Denise there. So when we get back from the break, we're gonna I've got another couple of questions from listeners uh, related to distributions of IRAs. So we want to talk about uh, the best way to make a distribution if you if you want to make give money to a ministry or a, some kind of charity. What's the best way to do it? What are the best assets to use? For that, and what's the taxability of distributions as they come out? We want to cover those kind of questions. Of course, we want to answer your questions. Eight seven seven two three five nine four zero five is the text line or the phone line. Eight seven seven two three five nine four zero five. We'll be right back with your questions in just a few minutes. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money, as a trust company with clients in all fifty states. Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common perspective. Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan, a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation. Unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com. Send an email to greenville at ronblue.com or call the Greenville office at 864-233-7405 or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And we're coming up here about 19 after the hour here on Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. Phone number is 877-235-9405. That's our text line or phone line if you'd like to get in a question for me today. We'd love to hear from you, so answer your questions. We're talking about IRAs today and distributions from IRAs. Already answered, uh, further qu- answered the question from Denise from last week's uh, show when she uh, she sent me a text for that. 
and had some good, great questions from last week. So I had a, a question a few weeks ago. This is why the station was closed, so we couldn't uh, we couldn't cover these live. But we put them all together here with some IRA questions. So um, Tim uh, asked me a question about making a gift to a ministry with appreciated assets. So he had been doing that for some time. So he would give a um, appreciated stock or appreciated mutual funds or something like that, and which is a great technique. So you you instead of selling the asset and giving the cash, you contact the organization and you tell them you'd like to make a direct transfer of your particular stock. So say you want to transfer some Exxon stock or something from your account to the ministry. Well, they'll have a separate account, or they should have. If they don't have, they should have one that they have specifically for that purpose where they will take then the money. They'll do a direct transfer. So go directly from your account to the to the ministry or charity's account. And what happens then is you get, as long as that's long-term capital gain property, then you will get the um, a deduction, so whatever the amount's worth, so let's say it's worth $5,000. So it'll, it's, if the stock's worth 5000 but you may have paid 3000 for it, you'll still get the deduction for $5,000. You won't have to pay taxes on that $2,000 of appreciation. It'll just be gone. Now, if you happen to be in the tax bracket, the 12% ordinary income tax bracket or less, all right, which means you've got about this year $80,000 of taxable income if you're a joint uh, filer, if you uh, that's taxable income, that's after your standard deductions and so forth. So if you've got about eight thousand of that, and, and including the sale of the stock, you're still going to be under that. Well, that's, there's no advantage to you because you can sell it and get zero capital gains tax. You're not going to pay tax on it anyway. But if you're over that twelve percent bracket, then you make this gift, then you're going to save the the twenty two percent or the uh, the ten percent, fifteen percent, whatever your capital gains tax rate is. You're going to save that capital gain tax on that transfer because you didn't sell it first. You just gave it to the ministry. So it's a great way to give appreciated assets. Well, I I knew that uh, Tim was over seven and a half. So I asked him if he'd ever made a qualified charitable distribution. Had they ever taken money from his IRA, which once you're seven and a half and the new secure act is not changing this date. So uh, it's still seven and a half. Once you turn seventy and a half, not the year you turn seventy and a half, but the day you turn seventy and a half, and I'd wait a couple of days after that just to be on the safe side, you can make a a qualified uh, distribution from your IRA directly from your IRA. You contact the custodian and say, "I would like it to go to Miracle Hill." Let's use Miracle Hill as an example. So I would like my my um, contribution, uh, my IRA distribution, to be made payable directly to Miracle Hill. So they'll send you a check, and there's ways that you can you can have it sent directly to the ministry or charity as well. But they oftentimes will send it; they can send it to you, but it's not going to be made payable to you. It's going to be made payable to the ministry or charity. So it's going to be made payable directly to Miracle Hill. So you take that check, and then you pass it on to Miracle Hill, and they use it, and you can uh, you can designate it then for a particular need that you want to fulfill, or if you just want it to go to the general fund, you can have it go to just just the general fund. And that qualifies as part of your required minimum distribution. And you can go up to $100,000 each year on that. Even if your required minimum distribution may be only 10000 or 20000 you could give more than that if you wanted to and still not have to worry about paying taxes on that. So on the front of your 1040, you're going to show the amount coming out as a distribution, but the taxable amount line, I think it's 4B, is going to be 
lowered, reduced by the amount that you've made as a qualified charitable distribution. So which way is better? So if let's take the example of Tim gave. So let's assume he's going to pay a a capital gains rate on his um, on his property. If he sells it first and then gives the money away, he's going to pay a capital gains tax on that. So if he does that, he's going to pay 15 percent, let's say. He's in that bracket. So he's going to save that 15% uh, because he gave that appreciated asset away. But instead of doing that, let's say he does a qualified charitable distribution. Well, his tax bracket, he's in the 22% tax bracket. So by giving his, by taking an IRA, a regular required minimum distribution from his IRA, he's going to include that as income and he's going to be taxed at 22%. So in this case, and you have to always check with your own tax preparer, your own situation to see which way is best for you, because I'm giving general information here. You need to make sure it's right for you. So always, always double check your particular numbers. But in his case, because he was in the 22% ordinary income tax bracket and the 15% capital gains bracket, then he's better off making a qualified charitable distribution and selling the stock. And paying 15% capital gain on that and giving away money from his IRA as a qualified charitable distribution and saving the 22% there. Now keeping in mind now that we can't, you, it's harder to tax deduct the, uh, your standard deduction is so high now, it's so much higher than it used to be that it's, it's less likely that you'll actually be itemizing deductions and these and contributions are that way. So when you are over, 65 over seven and a half in this case, and you've already paid off your home, so you don't have mortgage interest rate. Your income's dropped some, so you don't have a lot of state income tax. You're maxed out at $10,000 for state income tax and property taxes anyway. With the SALT limitations, the state and local taxes is capped out at 10000 So that's the most you could take there. Well, you have 24. Well, this coming year, it's going to be 24800 If you're over 65, you'll, you'll be able to take another 1300 on top of that. But if you... Uh, make those contributions, more than likely, you're not going to be able to tax deduct it. So this is a way to tax deduct it. Well, either way, by giving appreciated assets, or if you're over seven and a half, if you're under seven and a half, giving appreciation, giving appreciated assets is a great technique and great way to do it. If you're over 70 and a half, then you want to do a qualified charitable uh, distribution. I can't think of a, a, a reason why you wouldn't do that. Uh, I would tell all my clients, I'm going to tell you as listeners, that if you're over seven and a half, that any contribution you make, unless it's, you're talking 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks maybe, but if you're making any kind of, of larger contribution than that, it ought to come from your IRA and not come from your personal assets, your social security check, any other income check, any income that you have coming in. Don't give it there. Go through your IRA and every IRA custodian ought to do that. If you have an IRA custodian that won't do that, then you need to change IRA custodians to some the place else that will do it. I've not heard of one that would not do that. And it's simple. You just contact the, the custodian, you contact your broker, you contact your banker, whatever it is, and say, look, I want to make a qualified charitable distribution. I want to make a check payable to Miracle Hill or to my church, to whatever it is, and say, I want to make the check payable to them. And then it'll count as your required minimum distribution. We're going to talk later in the show today about how to calculate how all that is is determined and when you have to start taking those things out and how much you generally have to take out and so forth. We'll talk about that when we get back uh, later in the show after the, after the break. But from a, 
qualified charitable distribution standpoint and a, any, any contribution that you want to make. And it doesn't have to be a ministry. It just has to be a 501c3 organization. If it's going to be some kind of charity or ministry, then you ought to take it out of your IRA as a qualified charitable distribution if you are over seven and a half. And I remind you, it's the day after you turn seven and a half, not the year that you turn seven and a half. So I told, a client at the end of the last year when we were doing their uh, his annual review and looking at next year. So he's already over seven and a half, but his wife becomes seven and a half uh, this year. Said, okay, so she can take out her required minimum distribution and don't this year. She could delay it till April 1st next year, and then she'd have to take out two next year. We'll talk more about that. But this year she can, I say, don't, and she's the one that had several charities that she'd like to um, participate in and to contribute toward because of her experience with cancer and things like that. So she wanted to contribute to those organizations. I said, don't give anything until after you turn seven and a half, which I think was after June, if I recall correctly. So you don't give anything. Just don't give it. And then when you turn seven and a half, then we'll make some qualified charitable distributions and give it then. But so many times people wait and they go ahead and give that they normally did. And then they turn seven and a half and it's like, oh, if I'd only waited, if I'd only known. And this and Tim that I talked to had never heard of a qualified charitable distribution. If you listen to Talking Money, um, you need to pay attention because we've talked about it a lot of times. Uh, but I know it's easy to kind of have it on the background and not be paying attention. Uh, like my wife usually does, but it's it's something you need to pay attention to. So wait until you're seven and a half and make your charitable distributions out of your IRA because it's uh, it's even more important now that the standard deduction is so much higher and you probably have a hard time tax deducting those contributions those just those contributions you want to make anyway to those um, to those organizations. So we get back, we'll talk about the traditional the taxability of the of the traditional IRA, and then we'll talk about required minimum distributions. How are they calculated? What are some ways you can actually reduce your future required minimum distributions? And should you even try to? And so that's changing now with the Secure Act, and we'll talk more details about that in a couple of weeks. But right now, at least I want to give you some ideas on how you might think about even before you're 65, before you're seven and a half for sure on how to uh, reduce those um, future required minimum distributions that you might have. 877-235-9405. Text line, phone line, 877-235-9405. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com, send an email to greenville at ronblue.com, 
or call the Greenville office at 864-233-7405 or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. I keep getting waved, but uh, we're in the right track. Okay, we're good. All right, 877-235-9405 is the phone line. Or if you want to text a question in, we're talking more about IRAs. But if you've got a question about something else that you're just so eager to ask and you got to get it off your mind, then this is the time to do it. So 877-235-9405. Let's go to the phone lines now to get my buddy Wayne from Greenwood. Good morning, Wayne. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you. First, let me say that last summer, I went into Miracle Hill Resale Store on Pleasantburg Drive. Yeah. And that is about the nicest resale store I have ever been in. It's almost upscale. So you came all the way up to, to Greenville? To, and oh, I went up to Greenville for other reasons. Yeah, sure. I just passed it and decided to stop and browse for a pair of slim fit shorts, which they didn't have. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so is this the one up there uh, near Dunkin' Donuts? You're talking about, uh, you're talking about Pleasantburg Drive, so that's the one uh, near the home, Drive, near yes, the home office. Near the home office. Square, I believe. Yes, right near that. Okay. They, they don't sell the cars there. They, they On Wadehampton Boulevard, they have one that actually sells some uh, used cars. You can find some pretty good deals on those, but... Yeah, so I'm glad you had a great experience. Uh, as as most listeners know, I've been on the board of Miracle Hill for uh, this is uh, going on my fifth year now. So uh, just finding out about that organization and learning more about it on the inside, I have even more appreciation and respect for uh, the organization as a whole. But but really, the people that run their organization and the people that actually do the counseling for the the needy, whatever their needs are, whether it's a, a foster child or whether it's a a homeless person, some a drug addict or alcohol uh, abuser, whatever it is, uh, the heart that they have to help these people is just tremendous. So, yeah, thanks for that great comment, Wayne. Uh, my question. Yeah. When you donate appreciated properties such as stocks to a charitable organization, clarify for me exactly how the value is determined is it determined by the closing price of the stock on the day of transfer or if the the recipient turns around and sells it is it the amount of money they get for it at the price of say of the sale say within a certain number of days or is it like an estate where it's the average price of the stock on the day of transfer or previous day previous if it's not a business day sure. clarify that for me well, the ones I've seen, it's been the the closing price of the day it was actually transferred. So when they close, when it goes from the one brokerage company to the next, and they'll have the price of the stock that day that it uh, that it was sure. transferred. That's what's going to show up on your receipt from the organization, showing how much the contribution was for, not how much they sold for. Uh, how much they sold it for later because you don't know when they're going to sell it. They may hold on to it. They may not sell it for a year or two. So it'd be hard to have the, to, to wait until they sold it to give you the amount that you got your deduction for. 
you answered my question. Thank you very much. I, I do. I, and, and Wayne, have you run into this much uh, since you prepare taxes down there in Greenwood with people giving away short-term capital gain property and thinking they're going to get the same deduction that they got if they were giving away long-term capital gain property? Have you run into that much, Wayne? No, I don't deal with much of that. The other year I did have two people that donated vehicles to charitable organizations, and it is a paperwork nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> now, I understand from that, those kind of assets, in-kind assets, especially something major like a car, you have to take whatever they sold it for um, as the amount. So I don't know if you understand that. but um, I, believe, I believe that was correct yeah, in both yeah. cases. All right, Wayne. Neither, so, neither organization wanted the vehicle, you know. It was, I think they were both inherited, and they gave them. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Well, hope you have a, a, a great upcoming. Are you still doing taxes this year? Oh, I'll never retire. Okay. All right. I guess that's a yes. All right. Well, have a great weekend. I'm like, I'm like you. I'm not going to retire. <laughs> uh, well, I guess hopefully my wife wasn't listening for that. Anyway, okay. Well, thanks for the call, Wayne. Always good to hear from you. Okay. Bye. Take care. All right. Bye. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's one thing I heard that um, that we had um, have happened before, and I've even seen some uh, church um, – administrative financial people that put that out where you got to be careful if you give away short-term capital gain property where it's if you had sold it it would have been short-term gain instead of long-term gain that's a little trickier you got to be careful with that because you're not going to get the deduction for the full amount of the transfer you're going to get a full amount of a deduction for the amount of your basis in it now you figure it's something you had less than a year it would have to be something that wouldn't have much basis and wouldn't have much gain in it. So it's not as likely that somebody would give away short-term capital gain property. But if you do, you got to make sure that you remember that, that that property, you're only going to get that basis for the deduction. And you won't have to pay the tax on the gain, so you'll be saving that still. But you're not going to get a full deduction like you would long-term capital gain property for that uh, deduction of that transfer you made with short-term capital gain property as opposed to long-term capital gain property. So another question I had about IRAs. That was interesting to me uh, was when um, uh, Brad, another listener, that Brad asked me about the taxability of a traditional IRA to the beneficiary. And uh, so I was actually talking to Brad and Tim at the same time at an event we were at, and he's, he's acted surprised that the traditional IRA would be taxable to the beneficiary. He had always assumed that when he, if he died, he knew he'd have to pay taxes on it, but if he died, that the beneficiary would not have to pay taxes on it. So that is, of course, not true unless it's a Roth IRA. Roth IRA would have that benefit, but not a traditional IRA or traditional 401k or whatever it is. It's always going to be taxable. And one of the things I didn't mention talking about Tim doing a qualified charitable distribution as opposed to long-term capital gain property, another benefit is if you don't sell the long-term capital gain property and you hold it until your death, that still qualifies for a step-up in basis, which means that your, your heirs would get that, even if it could be a spouse, you own it. And it transfers to your spouse at death. That spouse gets a long, gets a up, uh, a um, increase in the value at death. So it gets stepped up in in basis. So they don't have to pay any taxes on it. So it's a, another way to get rid of the taxes. It's not a fun way because you have to die first. But anyway, you die, and then it passes on to your heirs. But then they get a step up in basis and don't have to pay taxes. So another reason why you want to use your IRA to give that money away if you're over seven and a half instead of uh, you, a 
the gift of appreciated assets. Okay, so let's go switch now to uh, Simeon, who's calling us from uh, Greer. Good morning, and welcome to Talking Money. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure, glad uh, to. I caught the tail end of a discussion on the qualified charitable distributions. Right. I have a couple of situations. Um, there was someone in the family who was completely homeless. And so I took a, I sold some stock, uh, $20,000 worth and, uh, provided that amount as a contribution to enable her to have a place to live. Is there any type of tax deduction on that? Because I know once you take it out of, or you sell the stock, then you're, I guess you're liable for the uh, the tax portion of that. But I don't know whether there's any forms you fill out for uh, getting any type of reduction because of the, uh, the why the uh, money was spent and how it was spent. Well, if uh, it, it would be great if you as an individual could give some money to someone who is in need and be able to take a tax deduction for that. Uh, I think the, the the only reward you're going to get for that, other than your satisfaction of helping somebody, is that you paid it forward, and so you'll increase your reward in heaven. You're not going to get anything else down here. Oh. So, yeah, the, it has to go through a 501c3 organization, and then they would have to give the money to that person before that would qualify you. Or, in, in if it's stocks that you're going to give, actually give the stocks, if you give the stocks to that person as a gift, and then they sell it, then you could also avoid the capital gains on that. And presumably, if they're in that kind of a need, they're not going to have much, if any, taxable income, and they won't have to pay any capital gains taxes on it because they'll be in that lower tax bracket, which has a zero long-term capital gain rate. So you're better off giving it to them first. I see. And then on the, I, I guess the second question is when I do the tax at the end of the year, uh, is there any form to fill out for such uh, um, amounts that were, uh, you know, given for that reason. No. So you do, okay. it, it won't show up on your Schedule A. It's not going to be a, a deductible uh, expense at all. And that's where it comes back to if that if even the person you give it to probably doesn't have a a brokerage account. Um, but I think your your only solution here that I can think of right off is giving them having having them have a brokerage account. You transfer it to them just like you would be transferring it to a church. And then you're not going to get a tax deduction for it, but they'll be able to sell it and not pay any tax on the capital gains. Whereas if you sold it, you may have to pay. If you're in that, if you're in the 22% or higher bracket, you're going to have to pay a 15% capital gain on that gain. Okay. And then the second question is, um, you have a little bit of time here? Sure. Okay. Uh, I have two sources of income. Um, I've been drawing my minimum distribution for three years now. I'm 70. I'll be 74 this year. And uh, so I get my minimum distribution, my Social Security. However, between the two, I exceed way over the amount I'm allowed to make above and beyond Social Security. So consequently, my Social Security is retaxed. Is there any way of getting around that? I mean, that's the only source of income I have. And... Um, uh, it's kind of tough, you know, when they they eighty uh, percent of your uh, social security is taxed again because of the amount that I uh, get above and beyond. I think they allow fifteen thousand above what you get on social security. Well, you've, well, there's several amounts there. In your case, you're talking about forty four thousand. So if you've got adjusted gross income of forty four thousand dollars or higher, including eighty percent of your social security, then up to eighty percent of your social security could be included as taxable income. I think that's what you're referring to. 
So that's how yeah. you that's how you pay it twice. So uh, the the and we'll see if we have time. So after the break, what I'm planning on doing is coming back and talking about that that exact topic. So we're going to talk about required minimum distributions and how to uh, reduce that retired minimum distribution. Now, obviously, you're already there, so it's you're not going to be able to. to doing a preparation ahead of taking that required minimum distribution out. But there are some things you can do to reduce future required minimum distributions that are not necessarily fund. It's, it requires paying some of the taxes earlier, um, but it's still a possible um, option for you on reducing future uh, distributions. So we'll talk about that right after the break. Do you have another question? Because I, I think I'll answer that question either today and today and two weeks from now. Okay. When we talk about the SECURE Act, we're going to go into even more detail about this very topic. And the only other thing I'll mention is that uh, I, I've uh, told them to take 20% above and beyond what I get through minimum distribution and send it directly to the IRS. Last year, I raised it to 30 because I still owed 5000 You know, so it's, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, so, you, it so, yeah, so you having them withhold taxes so you don't have to write a check later? Well, I had them take 20% above what I get on minimum distribution right, right. the year before last. But when I did my taxes, I still owed close to five thousand. Okay. Well, one of the one of the dangers of doing that is when you take when you have them withhold another twenty percent, all that's additional taxable income. So you're you're better off taking your requirement of distribution and just having them reduce it by an amount for your withholdings, not take extra out, which is again more taxable income to help pay the taxes on what your required minimum distribution is. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, you just you just made the problem worse. So if you said I have to take out twenty thousand dollars and I'll take out another four thousand dollars to help pay the taxes, well that four thousand is taxable too. Well that's what I was advised to by the guy that did my taxes and I and I bumped it up to thirty thirty percent. Yeah, I would I would try if you can do this, if you can if you can afford the the net amount to, to meet your expenses and say, Okay, I need to take this is my required minimum distribution. If you can have the custodian take out twenty percent of that amount or thirty percent of that amount and pay the taxes, then it's not going to make the tax situation worse. Now if that's still not enough to meet your expenses, then of course you have to take more out in order to do that, but that's going to keep uh, exacerbating the problem. But uh, exactly. yeah, so there may be yeah. some ways that, and we'll talk about that and give you some options, and hopefully we'll give you at least some and some idea of what you might be able to do going forward. Do you have? And what is your name, sir? Mike Miller. Do you have any um, books out? Oh no, but I do have a lot of a lot of radio programs. So if you go to talkingmoneyradio.com, talkingmoneyradio.com, then I've got uh, like years worth of programs on there, and you can search by topic. So if you search for IRAs, IRA distributions, it'll come up with the different shows like this one where I would talked about IRAs, and then hopefully you know one of them will will maybe help answer those questions. But hopefully. We're going to start running low on time here today, but between today okay. and two weeks from now, we will be able to, I think, give you some some good thoughts on what to do with that. But I certainly, I would really think twice about increasing the amount of your required minimum distribution or, or just your distribution above your required minimum distribution to pay the taxes, because that could potentially put you in, a, in even a higher tax bracket, which could would make the problem even worse. So you got to be careful with that. If you can live on the required minimum distribution minus the taxes, that's going to be net after tax 
a lot better way to go. You'll have less taxes that you'll pay then than if you would you try to, to gross it up essentially and put, take another 20 or 30% out. Every, t- every time you increase that amount, you're just increasing the amount. You have to take out even more to pay for the taxes that you are going to pay from the extra 30% that you're taking out to pay for the taxes on your required uh, minimum distribution. Uh, I, I see. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate your uh, taking my call. Sure. Yeah, thanks for the call, Stephen. Have a great weekend. In spite of having to pay the taxes, uh, we'll we'll see if we can help uh, eliminate some of that for you. All right, well we're past time for our last break. Let's go to that. We'll uh, try to wrap up some information here on uh, on IRAs. If you got to get you want to get a question in, get it in quickly. Eight seven seven two three five nine four zero five. Send me a text during the break or give us a call. We'll be glad to try to squeeze you in before the end of the hour. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I'm pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning. So you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance and as a fiduciary work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the everyday steward division without any ongoing monitoring or you're about to retire and need to work with the private wealth division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your state attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com, send an email to greenville at ronblue.com, or call the Greenville office at 800-588-7526 or 864-233. 7405. Now back to Talking Money. And we're definitely in what we would call the home stretch of Talking Money, So, but that's great. So talking to Simeon and answering his questions, or at least trying to answer those questions. If you've got more questions after the show and you just want to try to, to get those questions answered, you can go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And you, there's a place there to ask Mike a question. So you can go there and ask a question. And it's great when I get the email address where I can reply and ask more details about your question to make sure I understand it correctly and can give you the right answer. Because as always, we want, I want to give you information, but you need to double check with your own situation to see if the, the techniques, strategies that I talk about is something that can really benefit you. I don't want you just to assume that because I said it, it uh, it's going to work for you. In most cases, I think so, but in, in especially when I qualify it with the situation that I'm talking about. We have clients come in all the time that that are different, and so some these techniques apply to them, some do not. So talking about what uh, Simeon's question here, uh, talking about the required minimum distribution and paying taxes for that, that's unfortunately anything you take out of that, IRA is going to be taxed at whatever tax bracket you are in and whatever your marginal tax bracket is. So in in Simeon's case, if he takes money out and let's say he's borderline and he's right on the the $80,000 number for taking out for, for taxable income, the break between the 12% and the 22% bracket, where uh, taking an extra 20% out to pay the taxes on what he has already withdrawn to help pay those taxes on that, it becomes taxable income, but it may be taxed at the 22% rate where everything else was taxed at the 12% rate. So you need to know what your marginal tax bracket is. And when you're talking about how to take money out and how to reduce that amount, 
So there's many things you can do, and the Secure Act is is an act that is delaying some of this. And we'll talk, like I said, more about this in just a couple of weeks with Alan Cox from our national office when he comes up to visit in the studio in a couple of weeks. Um, but so I don't have time to fully uh, vet all this. But there's some important, really key things that you need to be talking about, and it's really more important. It's 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 great to ask the question when you're 74. It's better to ask the question when you're 60 or 65. And how you might be able to reduce that. So there's a lot of different ways you can reduce it. But, but the, the, frankly, the two main ways, you don't put as much in, which it generally is not a good idea because you're putting that in, the money in to the account when you're at the high, your highest presumably tax bracket. You're taking it back out when you're in a lower tax bracket. But if your investments do well and the amount you saved do so well that you're now having to take out an amount that's higher that puts you in a higher tax bracket. Then, then you have an issue saying, okay, how can I get that smaller? So the ways to give it, get it smaller would be to, to go ahead and make more distributions. So if you are in a, especially if you're in the 12% tax bracket and you have some room to go before you get the 22% bracket, then, then you should consider going ahead and taking out as much of your IRA as you can, even if it's above your required minimum distribution. Even if you're not taking a required minimum distribution yet, you're pre-7.5 or pre-72, as the new law would say. If if that's the case for you, go ahead and take out more. And, and yeah, you'll pay more tax, but you'll pay at 12% to help prevent future distributions being taxed at 22% or whatever the tax rate is at that time. So yes, paying more taxes, but, but hopefully reducing the amount of total taxes that you'll pay. And then maybe in your case, it may be in your children's case, if they're the ones who are going to inherit or be the beneficiary ultimately of that. And they're already in a 22% or higher bracket. They're in a, a 24, 32. They're in some higher bracket than you are. Then total family taxes will still be less because you're taking it out early. So you can take it out. And just take it out. So you got to be careful about Medicare premiums. But sometimes it's good to go ahead and take out a bunch in one year. Your Medicare premium may be higher for that one year. But then all the future years, because you require minimum distribution to be lower, maybe you can keep it under the limit so that your Medicare premium won't be uh, continually going up because you're taking out too much money. But that's a that's a lot of things. The IRS is proposing some new regulations. They're they're going to reduce the amount of percentages that still has not been approved yet, and and that goes in conjunction with uh, kind of interesting. That's going in conjunction with the Secure Act that just passed. This the regulations proposal came out in November, I think. the The law was passed. The new law was passed in December, but it doesn't affect the percentage of distribution. What the IRS is looking at is changing the percentage. It's not going to be material. It's for those, especially with larger IRAs, it's not going to make a big difference. I think they calculated maybe one percent difference in balance by the time you are ninety, something like that. So that's not going to be a, a big difference. Um, but there, there are a lot of different things that you can do. And I didn't say a lot. There are several things you can do, but mainly is, is converting some to a Roth IRA, taking some out early, and potentially even taking out a higher amount and buying a life insurance policy with it, which would leverage it. But you have to want the life insurance and not need the money and want to pass on a different benefit to your children later. So in, in next week, we'll be talking more about how to keep from sabotaging your portfolio. Then two weeks, we'll talk about the SECURE Act with Alan Cox, and we'll talk more about the changes in the law and some of these techniques that will apply even without the change of the law. We'll talk about those in more detail in just a couple of weeks. Well, thanks for listening to Talking Monday today. So glad you are with us as we start our 14th year. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week for the next Talking Money.